0: You're listening to God's Stories Radio. God's Stories Radio. God Stories Radio. Bringing hope and comfort through the Christian testimony.
1: god stories radio session 16 i'm fritz i'm mike and we are here tonight with the men of war yes we are they're all here even though john durham is supposed to give his testimony. john is going to give his testimony tonight he needed two to back up my ribs are hurting from laughing and we'll have a podcast coming up in the future called southies in the bible (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness i never laughed so hard in my life (laughs) But we're having a great time, and we're glad you joined us here on Session 16. And, John, welcome to the program. Of course, we're delighted to have uh, Ken and Joe with us back this week. Looking forward to uh, Ken's uh, testimony is out this week, uh, Session 15. So make sure you give it a listen. Uh, Also, check out uh, Men of War's new video on YouTube. What's that title, Joe? Are We
2: Ready? Are We Ready? If you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Ministries of War. Uh, you'll
1: find the video there. Facebook.com slash Ministries of War. You'll find the video there as well. So, how was your Good week? Good stuff.
3: It was a little testy, but uh between uh, you and some of the other brothers that uh, God has brought in my circle uh, uh, with prayer and everything else helped me get through a pretty bad uh, day, actually.
1: Amen. Amen. But God's... it turned out to be a great night. Yeah i think we've all uh been tested you know we're taking ground if we're not taking ground we're not being tested mm-hmm. something's wrong we need to reevaluate that's right so uh john we're going to be quiet take it away brother
4: well first of all i just want to thank both you and mike once again for uh having me here tonight to uh share my story or my testimony and i just uh my my deepest hope and my prayer tonight is that somebody out there would just hear this and just have hope um As you said earlier, you know, I'm here with Ken and Joe, and uh, we've talked about before in one of the prior sessions the importance of having milk, uh, you know, comrades in your life, guys that that support you. And so we have a saying at war, we run in packs. And so uh, I'm really excited about having them here with me tonight. I want to start off tonight by being, uh, well, obviously I want to be transparent. I want to be real. I want to be honest. That's the most important thing. But I want to take a moment here to kind of talk a little bit about my parents if I could because before I get started I, I think it's only fair to kind of start off giving you a little bit of a background their background uh, first and foremost my number one thing is I don't ever want to bring any kind of disservice to my parents or, or dishonor to them. Uh, some of the things I'm going to share with you tonight uh, could af- could actually do that if you didn't really understand where they've come from and where they've been so I, I want to start with my dad my dad uh, his father, Served in uh, the 101st Screaming Eagles. He actually was one of the guys that, uh, that, uh, that's back when they were an uh, airborne unit. And he actually dropped on Normandy in World War II. Uh, while he was in the war, he uh, was shot in the head, and he was found uh, wandering around Europe for a period of time. And they actually sent him back to the States because he had some mental issues. And uh, as shameful as it was for him, they actually got him for going AWOL. And that was not his intent. However, he wasn't really coherent what he was doing. And when he got back, they kind of got him together. But as a result of that, it caused some trauma for him. And, and my father and his siblings spent a, some time in, a, in, a, in an orphanage uh, until my uh, my grandfather remarried another woman. See, my, my dad's mom was a little promiscuous. She had had several children from uh, a couple of different men and my grandfather and her just they were compatible they were more like fire and fire and ice so so there was a period of time when my father and his brothers and sisters were put in an orphanage uh, they were later brought out of an orphanage and my grandfather was one of these types that thought he was you know going to find a great deal so he decided he was going to go to a, play, a little town called Norton Massachusetts and he bought a uh, what he called the cellar home it was actually the foundation of a house and he just put a roof on the top of it I remember it's a Small boy going over there before he passed away, and the toilet was sitting on cinder blocks. Um, the house was very damp and musty. So my father grew up there, and for a long time as a child, they didn't have any insulation in the house. So as a matter of fact, my father put the insulation in when he was in his 20s. Uh, so they grew up pretty hard. They all There was five of them. They shared one bed, one one sheet. My father owned one pair of pants, one pair of shoes, one pair of socks, one pair of underwear, and a T-shirt. Um, he actually had an issue with uh, wetting the bed, and he wore a diaper to school, till he was about nine years old. So he had some emotional trauma growing up. My mother, on the other hand, she grew up in a home where her father was a carpenter. Her mother was very free with, um, with expressing herself. My father would tell me stories of her waving to my mom on the school bus, naked, standing in the doorway. I remember as a child growing up, it was not uncommon for my grandmother to walk around with her shirt off, and then she would ask you what you were looking at. She had a favorite T-shirt, and on that T-shirt, there was a hole where her nipple protruded through it. My mother grew up in a very, very harsh harsh environment, but when she met my father, my father was actually engaged to another girl, he got cold feet, hooked up with my mom, and and, uh, got her pregnant. My parents were married at the age of 19 and 17. My mother was pregnant with my brother Barry. They moved into a small home on the east side of town in a town called Attleboro, where later, a couple years later, they had me. And then they also had my brother Tommy. They had a very strange marriage. They had a lot of stress and a lot of baggage that they brought into their relationship, as you could probably tell from, from their past. So my father, instead of Manning up and grabbing by uh, the home by the reins and and breaking the chains, he did what a lot of men did. He found uh, comfort in the arms of another woman. My mother was um, was a type that she wasn't a very she wasn't very good housekeeper. She wasn't very good at being you know a stay at home mom type. Uh, my dad told me it was very rare for my mother to cook a meal or for uh, them to kind of spend any intimate time together. Um, in the process of that, my mother. My father had a child. His name was Tommy, my brother. He was born in September, and by January, uh, he had died in his crib. My mother, to this day, will tell you that he died a crib death, but the reality of it is is that uh, he died by choking on his vomit, and his own vomit in his sleep. My mother had been up all night with her sister and I believe one of her cousins. You know this, Mike, up in the Northeast. They like to smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. And that's just what they mm-hmm. do. They sit around and sure smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. My father at the time was down at the local grocery store meeting with his girlfriend, supposedly breaking it off. My mother was in bed sleeping, and my uh, older brother Barry, who was five at the time, was the one that found my brother deceased in his crib. And I wasn't too far behind him. I think I was three at the time. So needless to say, things didn't start off on the best of foot. Matter of fact, what's amazing is I meet a lot of people and they assume when they first meet me that I grew up in a suburban home with two parents. Uh, you know, the two-car garage, the the white picket fence, the dog, and the whole nine yards. But the reality of it is it is it wasn't too long after my father and my mother split, and my mother was raising um, my brother and I in a small apartment on welfare. And so the apartment was roach-infested. We had a uh, number of times where you know, uh, electricity was an issue. My mother was a single single parent trying to raise two children. Heartbroken from the situation with my father, uh, the loss of a child, trying to raise two more. And my dad actually, after he left my mom, stayed with his girlfriend. The sad part about it was is my father was visiting my mother while he was dating this other woman and got her pregnant with my brother Bobby. The phone, this keeps going on and on and on. My father and my mom seemed like every time they hooked up, they had children. And so it's kind of an ongoing joke in the family. <laughs> but the, re- the sad reality of it is, is now she's raising three small boys. She's in a small apartment, raising them on welfare, uh, going through massive states of depression, just regret and guilt. As you can imagine, when you're in a home and you lose a child and neither one of you are perfect, there's a lot of, a lot of blame to go around you know and so my mother lived under that for a long time and because of that she was really checked out for a long time and I can remember kind of moving a little forward here because I don't want to just dwell in one spot but I can remember through periods of my childhood where you know most children they can sit back and tell you about intimate moments with their parents they can tell you about vacations they can tell you about fun things they've done together and for me that part of my life is really a fog. Being the middle child caused some major issues for me. My I have my brother Barry who was extremely damaged through this. My father, in all of his infamous wisdom, he was getting ready to leave to go move to Washington State with his new wife. So he decided to go to my brother's school and tell him he was leaving. That created some emotional trauma with him which end up developing into a learning disability and some emotional issues with that. Uh, My younger, my mother's still suffering with the loss of one child. My younger brother, Bobby, now is the baby boy so her focus is on him. So uh, not that I pity myself by any means, but life is what it is and reality is what reality is. And so I've always kind of been a survivor, so to speak. My parents always say that. Well, you always were the tougher one. You were always a survivor, you know. But in the midst of that, um, I lost periods of my life, especially as a child. I don't have a lot of fond memories of spending intimate time with either one of my parents, to be completely honest with you. I remember as a young boy, wanting desperately to have a relationship with my father but he had moved to Washington it was a we were living in Massachusetts you couldn't get to two further places in (laughs) the Mm -hmm. United States I mean uh, he was starting a new family and I guess in his mind he'd already failed his first one and he is starting a second one he'd already had another child Uh, my brother Derek was was brought in the mix and uh, not too long after that I had another brother Sean my father by the way had seven sons. wow uh, three different women (laughs) <laughs> okay. It was uh, my oldest brother, Barry. Then it was me, Tommy, Bobby, Derek, Sean, and Frankie. So those those are my brothers from my parents. My mother had six children. Uh, she had me, Barry, Bobby, Tommy, Dala, and my brother, Chris. So we have a very large family, you know. My uh, father's wife now has two children of her own. So there was two more, Nicole and Jimmy, that were added to the mix. His second marriage, she had four other children. So there was a lot of, you want to talk about intermingling, you want to talk about mixed families, there was a lot of that going on. And because of that, there was a lot of um, displacement for myself. Uh, for a long period of time in my life, I just never felt like I really fit. I didn't feel like I fit, fit with my mom, I didn't feel like I really fit with my dad. And I was about eight years old and I decided that I wanted to go live with my father. <laughs> so my mother and he had talked about it and decided that i would go live with him in washington state with his uh... with his second wife and uh... spent some spent my fourth grade year living with my dad and it was probably one of the worst years of my life as a child Uh, his wife was very vindictive very jealous uh, very verbally emotionally and at times physically abusive i can remember just situations like Sending me outside to pick up dog uh, feces with my hands. Putting me in the yard to pick weeds out of the grass until my father got home from work. And then when he would pull up, right before he'd pull up, she'd send me off and tell him I was playing all day. Just Mm -hmm. twisted, manipulative games where she uh, was trying to somehow, I guess, stick it to my dad by sticking it to me. She wasn't happy about the fact that he had brought me into their home, you know. So one of my saddest memories was being eight years old, telling my father, a grown man, that I needed to go for a walk and have a talk with him, and uh, walking him around a cul-de-sac and looking him in the eye and telling him that, um, I love you, but I can't live with you anymore. And it was the first time I ever saw my father cry. Um, Quite honestly, at that point, it really didn't matter. Mm because even at eight I felt like my father should have stepped up and done something
3: well I'm thinking that the it should have been reversed shouldn't he, he have been having a talk
4: with you well looking and back as an eight year old <laughs> yeah Look, you, looking back on it as an, as an as an adult and as a father today um, I'm with you Mike absolutely you know I mean I've, I've and I think that there's a times in, in my life because of that I have, I've I've harbored resentment or, or uh, hurt, you know, when it comes to that. But it's taken me a long time to get beyond that, to be honest with you.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and that wasn't, that may have been the first time, but it wasn't the last time. And so the plot thickens, you know. Yes. So I went back to live with my mother, uh, and they had moved from the east side of Attleboro, which was not a very nice neighborhood, and we were moving on up. We were like the Jeffersons. So we moved into the projects and uh, a little bit of the opposite but you know we moved into the projects my mother had remarried another, uh, gotten remarried to a gentleman his name was Bud he was a raven alcoholic he was uh, physically and verbally abusive to my mother so I just left this environment with my dad I moved back to be with my mom who's in a new relationship Uh, she's married to like I said a raven alcoholic who's smacking her around and she still had dealt with Issues of depression and and that because of... I think it's important for me to say that my mother was in love with my father. My father was never in love with my mom. Mm. And when my my dad left my mother for another woman, that crushed her. And, you know, one of the things that we learn in our walk with Christ is that everybody has a story. And everybody deals with certain things and everybody's been wounded and everybody's been hurt in their life and, and uh, looking back on it now as an adult male I could see where my mother was emotionally crippled by my father. I think that they both had felt like they were going to get away from the environment that they grew up in they were going to get a fresh start and what happened is they just brought the garbage into the marriage with them they brought the the, the baggage so to speak mm-hmm. and instead of rescuing one another they just damage each other even more you know so I I went back I live with my mom and and my new stepdad (laughs) Uh, and we had some goes I've never been uh, one to hold back how I feel uh, about situations quite honestly to be honest with you I was very very vocal even more vocal than I am and most people know that I'm vocal that know me But I I live with a certain amount of arrogance and a certain amount of cockiness and and, uh, confidence. And I had no problem telling at the age of 10 and 11, telling my mother's husband what was up. I can remember one instance where I walked in on him with my mom's head over the arm of the couch, pulling her hair. And I grabbed the vacuum cleaner hose and I was getting ready to go to town on him. My mother obviously jumped in between the two of us. And of course, I don't think I would have done much. I mean, I was 11. He was a grown man, but hey. I was going for it. So I, I, I'd live with them for a little bit. And then I decided <laughs> my uh, eighth grade year that I'd had enough of that. So I decided I was going to try living with my dad again. <laughs> 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 and my dad had uh, just recently had left his second wife, was in the process of leaving his second wife. He'd give me the bill of goods about how it was going to be just him and I. It was going to be the two of us. And uh, so I, I bought into that hook, line, and sinker, flew out there, first night that we were there was one of the best nights of my life i spent the night there the next morning we packed up his stuff hitched up his boat and we pulled out of the driveway and uh she was standing there and i was waving goodbye to her with one finger (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i bet you were and it was uh and i know looking back on that there wasn't a very godly thing to do a mature thing to do but when you're 13 14 years old and Somebody's caused you that much heartache and that much pain. Hey, you're in survival mode, and there, you, brother. You, you feel like you know you've you've. Uh, even though God wasn't a part of my life, I felt like God had rescued me from a part of my life that a, a prison that I was Absolutely. in. Absolutely, you know, and and so it was just like, you know, redemption. You know, right. That was very short lived because once when my father and I pulled out of the house and moved into the new place we were going, it wasn't too much longer. He moved his new girlfriend in. That I guess he had hooked up with at work. So he had cheated on my mother with his second wife. And he had cheated on his second wife with his third wife. The only difference was this time she had two children. And so uh, we were living with a friend of his. uh, Sharing a room in the back of his house. He moved his girlfriend in with her two kids. So my dream of quality time. Just the two of us you know him and i that was shortly lived and it was uh, came to a screeching halt
5: mm-hmm.
4: there's a lot of resentment at that point in time i was very angry i was very disappointed and i was very uh i was very hurt you know i felt like my dad sold me out again again you know I, but i want to say that my father is a very wounded man you know he like and you know i touched on just a little small part of his life in the beginning mm-hmm. he was very wounded by his father he was very wounded by his mother
5: right, right. And, sure.
3: and the way they were brought up they didn't know any other way yeah. so. and
4: so and you know and uh, he was seeking validity in a woman i know firsthand about that because later on in my life that's exactly what i did yeah same here yeah and, and mm-hmm. yeah and so um my dad, we moved in and she had moved her children in and, and there was a lot of tension, a lot of tension, you know. I was uh, in the eighth grade, you know, a young teenager, straight out of the projects in in, in Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a filter in my mouth by any means and I had no problem telling you how I felt about something. So it was very, <laughs> it was a very intense situation. And I was already aggravated and frustrated with the situation so there's a lot of hostility and instead of channeling that anger that frustration of my father I tended to channel it at his it is now his wife at the time and her two children she was actually going through a bitter divorce at the time as well her husband and I shared this at real men it's not something I share a lot with a lot of people because it really really bothers me her husband talked her son into conjuring up a story about me saying that I, I fondled him so he could get custody of his children Uh, What uh, ended up coming out of it all was, I guess I was wrestling with him one time, and when I picked him up to power slam him, my palm had grazed him in the crotch. And he was telling his dad, and so his father fed on that and jumped all over it. And so next thing I know, the sheriff's department's showing up at the house. I'm being falsely accused of being a uh, pedophile, so to speak, or, you know, a little diddler. And the most hurtful thing that came out of that for me was the fact that There was like a restrainer on me and her children. I was not allowed to be around her children. So on the weekends, my father was spending the weekends with her and her children while I was at home by myself. So (laughs) there was a lot of resentment that went on there. Um, After it all panned out and it all came out in the wash, we ended up leaving uh, his buddy's house and we ended up moving to... uh, her ex her and her ex-husband's house so now we're moving into her home her kid's home i'm already i hate to use this term but i'm already pissed off i mean to be honest with you it was just a bad situation and i stayed there from my eighth grade year through my ninth grade year i went through one two three four five different schools in that time period uh I don't know if any, you know how difficult it is to be a freshman in high school. Try being a freshman four different times, four different schools. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of resentment there. So enough was enough, and I left. Okay. I went back to Massachusetts back to again. Mm-hmm. As you can see, there's a trend going on here, going, running, running to, running from, running to, running from, trying to find something that. I was never, never going to find. I was coming up empty. Quite honestly, my father couldn't give me what I wanted. He didn't know how to give it to me, you know. Um, so I went back to Massachusetts. It was my sophomore year. And I remember <laughs> moving back with my mom. In my mom's home, there was never any rules or regulations. I could come and go as I pleased. I did what I wanted. My mother's philosophy was better to do at home than somewhere else. It was my sophomore year that I actually met my first love, and actually I dated her for five years, the same girl for five years. It was not uncommon for her and I to spend the night together at my mother's house. Matter of fact, uh, she was 15, I was 16. We would share the same room, the same bed. My mother had no rules, no boundaries. My friends would come over. We would. Uh, drink in the basement, smoke pot in the basement. My friends would smoke. We would uh, take turns uh, being promiscuous with our girlfriends in the basement. Um, It was just a free-for-all. I had no curfew. I could stay out as late as I wanted to. Um, I could go where I wanted to. I could do what I wanted to. Uh, By the grace of God, I would never really, I mean, I dabbled a little bit with marijuana as a kid. Uh, My friends were all doing it. I never really cared for it too much, Um, but I did try it. But it was just not something I ever stuck with not something that was a big deal for me. Alcohol was never really a big thing for me uh, at that time in my life as far as being a teenager. But that girl in my life was. It was the first time in my life that I felt like somebody loved just me. It was rewarding and yet it was very damaging. She got pregnant when she was 15 and a half. And uh, I'm 16 You think you know it all, you think you got it all figured out. You're looking at this girl that you're madly in love with or you think you're madly in love with. And her mom shows up one day, she's pregnant, and the next day she shows up and she's not. Her mom had taken her for an abortion, and that's not something that I'm proud of. And I look back on it now as an adult, man. I could have done something. I could have said something. But the reality of it, looking back on it, is it was easier not to. And because of that, that brings a great deal of shame and, and regret, you know. I like to say that I, <laughs> I learned my lesson. But it wasn't about a year and a half later that she was pregnant again. And the sad thing was it was because we definitely weren't taking the precautions to make sure that she wouldn't get pregnant. You're young, you think, oh, I'm in love with this person. This is the one for me but this time she ended up having a a miscarriage uh it was upstairs in my mom's bathroom and i'll tell you something when you're 17 and you walk in on your 17 year old girlfriend having a miscarriage it's not a it's not a pleasant sight you grow up pretty quick Mm -hmm. Um, my mother lived like i said lived in a housing project and i was working at this during this time though i i'd met her dad her dad was a a foreman he was a construction worker I started working with him and so when I was 17 I actually moved out of my mother's house Uh, I was told that because she was with the housing authority that either I was going to pay half the rent or I had to get out and as stupid or weird as it may sound back then I told myself I ain't paying to live in the projects you know I live here because I have to I grew up here because my mother's on welfare I mean I'm not going to pay to live here you know what I mean So my girlfriend and I, we moved out together. We moved into an apartment. A year later, she was pregnant again. This time, I found her in the kitchen, 2 o'clock in the morning, curled up in a corner, screaming. Had to rush her to the emergency room. She had a tubal pregnancy. you think that you'd learn from your mistakes, Mm. you know. But you're young. You think you got it all figured out. We continued to stay together for a little period of time. We were together for five years. And then finally, we were like, we were like fire and gasoline. One of them relationships where, you know, you drop a match on it, something's loud it would explode. It was a lot of passion. It was a lot of love at that time. But it was very volatile. We had two kids trying to be adults.
5: Mm-hmm. Having
4: two different ideas of what life was going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but you both
3: saw different ends of life as you grew up, too.
4: Well, she she actually come from even a worse background than I did. I mean, she floated from home to home. She lived with – her mother had seven sisters. She lived with every single one of them, lived with her meme and her pepe, lived with her dad. She was bounced around her entire life. Uh, She didn't know what it was to be loved. You know, she'd never experienced true love in her life. And then she had felt like she'd experienced that from me, which it was. It was genuine and it was true for the time. but. I mean, come on, you're a 16-year-old kid. What do you really know about love? Mm-hmm. You know, What do you know about responsibility? You, you don't. You think you do, but you don't. And even progressing into being 18, 19, and then you know, finally the relationship was just one of them deals where it was just so rocky and volatile that it finally had come to an end. And uh, that's when I found myself standing and looking at myself in the mirror. I was living in a town called South Attleboro with a buddy of mine. I was sleeping on his couch. And I was working construction, about 80 hours a week, chasing our money, checks bouncing all the time. We were drinking a little bit, hanging out. And I remember looking at myself one night in the mirror saying, who in the hell are you? Who are you? Who is this guy? Because you've become everything that you've despised in your life. And a couple of days later, my roommate at the time had a recruiter come to the house. Cause he'd always wanted to be in the service. I had never really thought about being in the service. It wasn't something that really crossed my mind. But I figured, hey, I'll hang out. I'll listen to what the guy says. My buddy's going to go in the Army. He had a felony, so he wasn't able to get in. But I remember walking this, watching this guy walk in. And he was high and tight, man. He had that pressed uniform on. His hair was neatly trimmed. And, man, he looked like somebody. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm nobody. And I wanted so desperately to be somebody. You know, it's like I just, I don't want to be another punk or another bum from the projects. I don't want to be a guy that just gets a second-rate job that's drinking and partying with his friends, hanging out at the, the, the taverns and the bars and just living some meaningless life. I started talking to him. He told me how to lose a few pounds to get in so I started running with a trash bag my brother still laughs at me because I used to run around the park with a trash bag to lose weight it's 1995 I joined the United States Army I became an M1A1 tanker I was uh, spent basic training in Fort Knox Kentucky uh, Disney barracks uh, for 13 weeks and then uh, shortly after basic I was stationed at Fort Hood Texas no good Fort Hood Mm -hmm. the armpit of Texas Home of the Apache. Oh, yeah. This is where it really gets interesting. <laughs> the second night that I'm in Texas, when you first get into the military, you fly in, and they after when you get brought to your duty station, they have this thing called 21st Replacement. And they put you in this holding area till they disperse you out into your units, what unit you're going to be in, what, what uh, barracks you're going to be at, what company you're going to be at. So I'm there with a bunch of guys. We don't even know if we're going to be in the same unit. We don't even know where we're going. You could tell we were newbies because we had our dog tags on, and that was one of the ways you could identify guys that had just gotten there. Guys that always wore their dog tags. I'm sure Ken, you know what I'm talking about. You you were in the service. Uh, and you guys ever been in service? No. So you could you could you could see us a mile coming from a mile away. You could hear us. You could hear, hear, hear us. Hear clink, clink 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 clink. And uh, second day that I'm there, my two guys that I'd met we went over to the mall we had taken a taxi they ripped us off because that's what they do they take it the a long way and rip you off because you're a newbie you don't know any better you're paying $20 to go to the mall which is you know three miles down the road you know right all right off the right off base <laughs> we we're in the mall just messing around acting stupid we go into this toy store and we're messing around and I meet this girl and uh, her name was sarah first girl I met when I went to Texas the bad part is just she was married she's married to another soldier and we had, she'd offered to give us a ride back to the base said look you guys are getting ripped off I'll give you guys a ride you know but I want to stop and get something to eat first and my two buddies are sitting there with their tongues hanging out and they're panting over her and I'm just like uh, nah, I'm all set you know because again like I said I come from New England and we're cocky we're arrogant and confident we don't we don't we don't roll like that. We don't walk around <laughs> with our tongues hanging out. And I guess there was something about the fact that I walked with that type of bravado that attracted her, and she was very drawn to me. And so she pursued me very heavily. And at first I told her, look, you know, you're married, I'm not interested, you know, we can be friends. That's it. Needless to say the the pursuit continued and I didn't make the best of choices. You, which, weren't, you weren't like a Joseph. You uh, I was just going to say. I, I, didn't, I didn't run uh, like Joseph. You didn't leave didn't, your coat behind. Yeah, I didn't run like Joseph, and uh, yeah, I should have, because she uh, later had adopted the nickname Psycho Sarah, <laughs> but she ended up uh, she ended up leaving her husband, and then I was stuck with her for about a year and a half. Uh, she was uh, a very volatile relationship, very volatile, um, very insecure, very jealous, very you know. Not on my part, but on her part, and uh, this is the other part that gets to me. I got her pregnant, too. What happened on that deal was, is that she had lied to me about some things, about her physically, told me that she couldn't have children. Um, matter of fact, she actually went into the, the degree of crying and sobbing over it and again you're young and you're stupid and you think well hey if you can't have kids why are we using protection Mm -hmm. and then you get stupid and next thing you know she's she's pregnant and i was very angry i felt like i was uh i felt like i was lied to i felt like i was betrayed and i really didn't walk it out the way that i should have because i basically told her that you know i would deal with my responsibilities as, as a father but as far as her and i were concerned the relationship was over uh that I would, didn't want anything to do with her, that for her to, to lie to me about something like that or, or to, to manipulate me into believing that and then for something like this to happen. Uh, and again, not the wisest of decisions, not the best way to walk something out. She she ended up getting an abortion because of that, because I told her I wouldn't stick by her. And I can remember before she left, I had had to change of heart. I was like, man, I don't want to do this again, man. And I was like all this time in my life I didn't have God in my life you know I was just living surviving and but I knew it was wrong in my heart I knew it was wrong and I just said look you don't have to do this and she said no I want to I want to get on with my life I want to go to college and I don't want to be so she went through with it well we went through with it I'm not going to say she went through with it because that's that's a chicken way out that's a coward's way out I basically violated her and her trust when it came to that and I didn't man up. I didn't man up when I should have and as a result of that, you know, ended up happening and uh, we ended up splitting up and she did end up going off to college. And then I ended up going out clubbing and partying and drinking and carousing and beating this woman and that woman and this woman and that woman and putting notches in my belt and thinking that I was something special. And, you know, for a long time you think, in the military it's it's all about how many beers you can drink and how many girls you can hook up with, you know. And you just wake up empty. You wake up with a sick, empty feeling in your stomach thinking, why am I doing this? You know, this is just... And this went on for about a year and a half. I dated a few other girls, a couple ones I got a little serious with it didn't work out. And I had this roommate, his name was, his last name, his name was Louis Campagna. He was a Christian. And I can remember him reading his Bible in our room and I can remember secretly inside myself saying, man, I wish I had that kind of strength or that kind of faith or that kind of courage. Because you see, throughout my entire life, I'd always believed in God. I mean I can remember getting into arguments with my friends because the majority were atheists and I was ready to fist fight people over the fact that there was a Jesus. I had no idea why. I didn't really go to church. I didn't, you know, didn't give my life to Christ, but I I believed that he was real. I believed that there was a God. I certainly wasn't living by it, obviously you've heard the majority of my story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I always admired him. I always remembered his name. And I'm always made an impression on me like I I wish I, I wish I had that kind of guts you know but I didn't I was a punk I mean I was hurt I was damaged I hate to use the term cuz I hate using it now but I was wounded and I was at a point where I just didn't care you know I was going to do what I was going to do and as long as I wasn't physically hurting somebody or forcing myself. So you, you go through these motions and these thoughts in your head that, you know, hey, I'm going to be I'm straight up with these girls. I'm telling them, hey, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship. You know, I'm being honest. There's no lies. There's no manipulation, you know. And so you, you, the enemy, I look back on it now, the enemy feeds you all this bogus information where you feel confident and you feel good about it. Like, hey, she knew what she was getting herself into. You know, you know, I, I didn't manipulate her. I didn't lie to her. I didn't. You know, put out some false pretenses I was straight up about it and then I met Candy and you know when you're sitting around with your friends and you're talking about how many women you slept with it's you feel like yeah you've done something you think it's funny or you think that you've put enough notches in your belt like you're impressing your friends but when you look at somebody you're in love with and you have respect for it's not that cool anymore you know, <laughs> it just, Candy was the first woman in my life that I ever, and this sounds awful when I was about to say this, but this is the truth, that in the back of my mind, I wasn't just saying, you know, just shut up and take your clothes off. Because to me, women at that point in my life where they were just an object, I'd been hurt by my mother. I'd been hurt by the first love of my life. You know, I'd been hurt by... You know, my father's, uh you know, wives. Uh, so I really didn't have a great deal of respect for women. I really didn't. And I certainly didn't want one telling me what to do or telling me what was up. I had a real issue with that. But when I met Candy, I don't know, something just clicked, and I was like, I was really impressed with the way that she talked about her family. Because family was always important to me, even though my parents... You know, there's distance there, but I have brothers that I'm really close to that we grew up tight-knit, you know. And, Mike, you know what I'm talking about, Northeast. You, I can say whatever I want and do whatever I want to my brother, but if you touch my brother and my sister, it's 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 a bad bad day. Mm-hmm. And
1: well, I can tell just, you're passionate about it because even before we started the the broadcast, he was saying, you know, I need to talk about some things concerning my parents, and, mm-hmm. you know, that was the first thing that came out of your mouth tonight i found that to be very impressive Mm -hmm.
4: yeah so i just you know when i met candy she was she was all about family and she had already had a a, a, a job she'd already been established she certainly didn't need me for anything we started dating and she introduced me it was kind of ironic how things happen you know when i first started dating candy The first year that we spent Christmas together, her granny had passed away on December 20th, 1997. And I had gone to Oklahoma to visit her and spend Christmas with her. And I remember her pastor, and his name is Gerald Jocelyn. He he had given given a message at her funeral, and he had talked about uh, a new life. And he talked Mm. about... He had talked about her granny who had been ailing her entire life with a bad leg, a bad hip and everything. And he had said, I would imagine Rosemary's got to the gates of heaven and she took off running. She ain't stopped yet with her new leg and her new body. It was the first time in my life that I wasn't afraid to die. I'd had a new perspective on death. You know, I was like, this doesn't seem right. Most funerals I go to, people are crying. It's a Mm -hmm. bad deal. This thing here is it's giving you hope it's talking about a place that's far greater than this and it's talking about a new life and a new beginning and so that was kind of stirring inside of me Christmas Eve midnight 1997 I'm sitting in my wife's my now wife's church at a candlelight ceremony for Christmas they did it every year and I remember sitting there and I'm looking at candy and I'm thinking to myself oh my god if she's only known half the things I've done half the places I've been she wouldn't even be with me right now and I said to myself man John you have got to change your life and I looked at her and I said you know I really want to find God in my life and I want you to find him with me and she said yeah me too I'd gone back and forth there visiting for a period of time. You see, I I knew I was going to marry Candy after the first time I ever met her.
0: And Can I throw something in there real quick on that? I had no idea how he knew that because he was batting way out of his ball field. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing it out. Yeah, she was definitely out of my league.
4: My wife was definitely out of my league. I would go back and forth to the church with her and I told her about how I wanted to give my life to Christ. And it's kind of funny. I look back on it now. They had an invitation time. Okay. And every time the time would come for an invitation, I would freeze. And I would lock up. And I told her, I said, "Like every time that happens, I lock up, I freeze, I lock up. And I said, I just don't know when I'm supposed to go do it. And quite honestly, at that point in time, I didn't realize that when she went forward, you give your life to Christ, you're going to get baptized. I didn't know that. So she fin- she told me she said, "Well, I'll tell you when it's time." She looked at me one Sunday and she said, "It's time." "You want me to go with you?" And I said, "No, nah, I think I can handle this." And I uh I walked up there and, you know, here I am thinking, you know, we're just going to talk about it. They bring me back to this baptistry and I'm thinking, "Hey, I'm here, let's just do it," you know. I was baptized. <laughs> Gave my life to Christ and uh Gerald Jocelyn baptized me and, and he married Candy and I. We'd gone through marital counseling with one another. And I'll tell you, he told me, he taught me so much in that short period of time. He said to me, he said, John, you know, if you do everything in your power to make Candy happy and she does everything in her power to make sure that you're happy, you guys will always be happy. And there's nothing another man can say or do that will ever make take her from you. And there's nothing another woman will ever say to take you from her.
1: Amen. And
4: and and we were married in uh September fifth, nineteen ninety eight. Matter of fact, uh my wife and I are coming up on our fifteenth year wedding anniversary this this month. So I'm excited about that. It was funny because I went to go back to Massachusetts to work to buy her engagement ring and when I came back I had her engagement ring and our wedding invitations we already knew we were getting married. We'd already had the date set. I just had to get her the ring. So I went back for about two months and worked after I ets out of the military and came back with her ring and uh, our invitations. And we, uh, we didn't do everything the right way. We lived together, you know, uh, we didn't, uh, we were sexually active before we got married. Uh, so there was a lot of things that, you know, we really didn't do it the right way we should have should have done it the right way but we didn't but you know what what have could have should have can't change the past all i got is today right
5: well
1: yeah, yeah. but in your defense too you were you were making adult decisions yeah. at a really young age you mm-hmm. were put out put out into an adult world and expected to make adult right. decisions
3: and what i was going to bring up too is uh, it goes back to uh, the wild heart boot camp by uh, john eldridge that um, we find out then through the book and through the the boot camp, that uh, the reason why the way you are, through your father mm-hmm. not giving you or showing you or initiating you or validating you. Oh yeah. You know, I never, 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 you never heard the word "I love you." Um,
4: well, my father. Don't get me wrong. He, my father, never had a problem telling me "I love you." He had a hard time showing how he loved you. and and, and in life, sometimes talk is cheap. It's easy to say "I love you." it's harder to walk it out. All right. And that, that was the did issue. You ever, my did you
3: ever get the, uh, you got what it takes.
4: Reality of it is Mike, to be honest with you, by the time I realized in my life, which was probably about three or four years ago when I started, I've been to four different, I've been to four boot camps. Um, when I realized what my real issue of validity was validity and I was seeking validity in women and seeking validity and all those things, um, the reality of it what what really hit home for me is when I came to the realization that God's my father
5: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: you know my my earthly father, I love my father don't please don't misinterpret where I'm coming from. I love my dad, he made a lot of mistakes, but I love my father, you know, but I realized that my father will never be able to validate me because number one, my father is not a godly man and I need godly counsel and I need a father that is godly and God is God. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized about validity being a problem and I mean, you're talking four years ago. Sure. And so I had issues even, even in my marriage times in my marriage where I would have validity issues. Um, even in my walk with christ you know when i was first came in into being a christian i was extremely on fire for christ but then i'd hit lows valleys and i would find myself in places that i shouldn't be doing things i shouldn't be reverting back to the old me and it was a constant struggle in my life Mm -hmm. constant struggle i would gravitate towards people that were like the people i grew up with and uh even though i had uh relationships with certain folks. And I, and there have been great men that God has has put in my life. I mean, Gerald Jocelyn, which was my first minister, uh, Troy, uh, Troy was probably, probably the the greatest man that God ever put in my life. He was our young adult minister. He taught me what it truly was to be a man. Then I had, uh, when we moved to Pensacola from Oklahoma city, I had, uh, Bill Rosowich, which was my second, uh, minister that I ever had. He taught me a lot about, you know, stepping outside of my box and he put me behind a pulpit, got me speaking for the first time publicly, uh, put me teaching classes and, you know, helping out with the youth. And and it was, a you know, I was singing on the praise team. I was singing solos and I was, I was engaged in doing the work, but I wasn't building real relationships in my Christian walk. And what was happening is, and what happens with a lot of men is, is I would find myself gravitating towards men that I was accustomed to gravitating towards outside of my faith. And because of that, you know, you lie with the dogs, you're bound to get fleas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Absolutely. when you dwell with sin, you're going to sin. And you're going to find your itself in places you shouldn't be, doing things you shouldn't be doing, thinking things you shouldn't be thinking. And... You know, it never caused major issues in my marriage where Candy and I would ever thought about splitting up or having problems. Um, but internally, it caused issues for me because I was seeking validity. I was seeking, you know, validation. Mm-hmm. And you can find yourself looking in a lot of the wrong places. But when I came to the realization of, you know, God is my father. He validates me. Mm-hmm. And when that came about, that changed everything. It certainly did.
3: And when I went through the book and the boot camp and everything else, I can honestly say and know for sure, my two wives, I chose them and I was wait, you know, just trying to be validated through them mm-hmm. and by them. And it just made things worse.
4: And because what happens is and what I've found is that uh, you, know, you realize a woman can't validate a man. I mean, you think that your wife can make you feel like a man. You think she can make you feel attractive, make you feel, you know, masculine and all those things. She can't.
1: Nope. It's really and, unfair to and them, And too, it is. It's you very put inf- right. insurmountable amount of pressure on them.
4: Right. And it all stems from insecurity,
3: you oh, know? Yeah, absolutely.
4: And, you know, once I, once I took hold of that, that's when the very foundation of who I am really changed. And I've been continually change and you know we we've brought up war and uh and that's when i realized you know the importance of 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 this ministry that i've been a part of for like the last year and been a part of really been brainstorming about and thinking about and putting together within myself for the last two years you know that there are a lot of men (laughs) that were just like me No idea that I was under attack by the enemy. No idea that I was in a spiritual battle. No idea what it meant to put on the armor of God. No idea what it meant to have a relationship, a true relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. No idea what the importance is to have godly men in your life, uh, to seek godly counsel. I mean, all these things that we talk about in our ministry are a direct reflection of what I suffered with in my life. You know, I mean looking back, I wish when I came out of that baptistry that a man would have grabbed a hold of me and looked me in the eyes and said, John listen brother I know you just gave your life to Christ I know you're on fire I know that you feel like you've done something but you better be ready to strap it on because you're going to war you're stepping out into a battlefield and you've got an enemy that's coming for you with everything that he has that's going to come with you with with fast, furious and malicious intent
5: mm-hmm. that it wants
4: to seek and destroy you.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And if you don't get grounded in the word, you don't get grounded in the relationship with Christ. And if you don't get grounded with a relationship with other men, he's going to eat you alive.
1: He tried to destroy you before that fact.
4: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. God had his hand on you through all that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you, one of the things that I had to learn to do, Fritz, was I had to learn to forgive myself. See, I'd already asked God for forgiveness, but I wasn't forgiving me. And, and I was holding on to that. And because of that fear of exposure, and I talk about that a lot on Monday nights, you know, when I get up on that stage on Monday nights, I'm talking about me. Sure. You know, I'm talking about what goes on with me as a man and the experiences that I have had and hoping and praying that it touches another man to open their eyes to the world that's going on around them. When I'm talking about war, it's because I'm desperate. You know, my fr- my second minister, Bill Rosowitz, said, you know, a lot of people say when they meet me, I come across desperate. He goes, it's because I am. Because sometimes you only have one chance, one opportunity to touch somebody's life. And when you miss that opportunity, you've blown it. When I look at my life and I look at the failures of my life and the shortcomings and the times that I've screwed it up and messed it up, I realize that it was because... <laughs> I had no idea what I was in the middle of. And when God put me in his place and put men like Ken and men like Joe and men like Daniel, men like Mike and yourself, guy, the men at Real Men, those people that are in your life, that are in, in the trenches with you, that are swinging their swords, that are, that are carrying their shields, that are putting on the armor of God every day of their lives and fighting for one another and each other that changes the dynamic of everything. And for me, I feel like God has put a calling on my life to do everything I can to help educate, teach, train, and mentor men so that they don't have to go through what I went through and live through what I lived through to get it. You know, you don't have to have the things that have happened to me happen to you. So you can finally wake up and go, Hey, God's my father you know i am in a battle but that's okay because i can do all things through christ who strengthens me you know greater is he that is in me than he is in the world mm-hmm. and amen i walk in that now i believe that and i walk in confidence and i walk in boldness because of christ and through christ because john durham the man <laughs> he's a failure an absolute failure and for god to take me from where i was at to reach into that pit of darkness and filth and to shake me off and go, hey, you're still dirty, you're still beat up, that's okay, I'm going to use you anyway. And just stick me in the places he's put me in and the opportunities that have been before me, what a blessing. You know? It's a what beautiful a, situation. <laughs> and for me, that's, that's living. Because I'll tell you right now, for a long time in my life, I was dying. I know what it feels like to be dead. And, you know, hell is separation from God. And you can live in hell on this earth. Mm -hmm. You certainly can. And if you don't get that, you'll miss everything. I'm a far from perfect man. I have struggles, just like everybody else. I'm in this fight every day of my life, every second, every moment of my life. But what makes it tolerable is I'm not in this fight alone,
5: mm-hmm.
4: because mm-hmm. I know that if I'm in it, Ken, Joe, Daniel, I got three swords. And let me tell you something. And I've said it here before. You can cut through a lot of jungle with four swords, mm-hmm. and you can cut more in the path. You can make a road. Amen. And I'll tell you, it's one heck of a ride when you're rolling with your brothers.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Yes, it is. It's it's uh, and I, I rolled by myself. See, that was the that was the real crazy thing. I was. I was teaching Sunday school classes. I was singing on the praise team. I was singing solos. I was preaching from the pulpit. I was doing communion meditations. I was involved with the youth. I was involved in the men's groups. But I was alone. I was by myself. I didn't have, I had plastic, paper relationships. Walking down the hall, hey brother, how's it going brother? Pound, high five. And that was it. And we don't have to live like that as men. We don't have to walk in that as men. God has a greater plan intended for us. You know? God didn't send his son into the world to die on a cross so that we could put ourselves on an island. You know, Mike, you said earlier that something that really touched me that when you were talking about how you were in it last week, you know. And the beauty of that is you knew to go to the well that produces water. Mm-hmm. And that's to go to your brothers in Christ, right. and when you went to them, they picked up their swords and they went to war and went to battle for you. They did, and and that's what it's to me. That's that's what it's about. That that's that's how I want to live. Mm-hmm. That's how I want other men to live. And it just breaks my heart to see that men aren't doing that because I know I was I was there. You know, I was I lived it. You know what I'm saying? Do you think it's a it's a spirit of pride? the
1: devil
3: uh, i think some of it is but like john said a couple different times not even knowing not even aware of what's going on it's not
4: having an awareness uh it's pride and another one to be honest with you is fear
1: fear Mm
4: -hmm. men are are, have a great fear of exposure i don't want anybody i didn't want anybody to know the sins that i had lived in the things that i'd done or the mistakes that i made i mean who wants to broadcast that they're screwing up you know I, I like like i said to my men and, and my men's group you know uh christ says that uh he who looks at a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery well every man that's sitting in real men's an adulterer if that's the case and those that's harsh words but that's the mm-hmm. truth that's the truth we're all in this thing together you know we're not one better than the other you know maybe your struggles today may be lust and may my may be gambling you know you may be lying mine may be stealing but at the end of the day, God hates all sin. Mm-hmm. He hates it all. He can't dwell with it, and it separates us from him. And we, he doesn't put labels in on it, and he doesn't do a, a measuring stick on what's a bigger sin, what's a smaller sin. He hates it all. And the problem is I think that men think that, well, my sin is the worst sin, or I've done this and he'll never forgive that.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, mine's not. You, you don't sin as bad as I do, or you didn't screw up like I did, or, you know. And and you you live, you live in this lie that the enemy has just got you in prison and entangled with, in bondage of of manipulation, and you're sitting there going, "Why is God going to want me?" I can remember praying to God, asking Him, begging Him to please love me in spite of me. Mm. You know, God, please don't leave me. You know, that was my biggest fear. I fear that more than exposure. I didn't want God to leave me. By all rights, he had every right to because I was filthy.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And I knew in my heart, I knew that God can't dwell with sin. I know that God can't, that that separates us from God. But I also put myself in a position where I was allowing myself to be above God because who am I to say that God cannot forgive my sins? hmm. And there's a lot of men out there that we put ourselves higher than God. We think (laughs) that, well, I can't forgive myself, so God can't forgive me. Well, who am I? I'm nobody. God's Word says that if you repent and have true repentance in your heart, He will forgive you. Problem is, men, is we don't believe it. We don't believe it because we're not very forgiving. Because we don't want to forgive ourselves, and we have a hard time forgiving others. And we don't want to believe that God's going to forgive us for the garbage that we've we've got in our lives. And, you know, when I look back on all of it, I realize that God was refining me. And I'm going to tell you something. That fire at times is very painful.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it is.
4: But I'll tell you what. And he's still refining me. There are still parts of me that I try to hold on to, that he tries to slap it out of my hands, says, hey, dummy, let it go. You know what I mean? We've had that conversation before, haven't (laughs) we, Mikey? mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's one of them things where I just want to bring God glory. That's all I want to do. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I know that I'm not perfect, and I know that I will fail at times, but my deepest, most sincere prayer for me and for other men is to recognize that that is our true purpose, and that is to bring God glory in our lives. Amen.
1: Ken said something last week in his testimony that I just kind of hung on to, and he says, you know, I just want to live my life that somebody will get here faster than I did. And I thought that was, uh, I just held on to that. Uh I thought, wow, Mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about. John, thanks, man. (laughs) Thanks for uh, stopping by, guys. Well, thank you for Um, having me. As usual, you guys leave us speechless. Really, which is. uh, (laughs) In a couple
3: couple weeks from tonight, we have Joe coming back. I know.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a story there. That's got that right. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, I before we close, I just want to tell you that I'm very, very humbled and very, uh, very blessed to have these two men in my life. Amen and daniel also i mean he's not here tonight because his schedule but to have men that i can look at and trust that i know that love me love my family uh, i prayed for that for a long time
2: too, brother.
4: you know you just you don't that's just not something you find every day
2: Mm-mm.
4: you know you don't find true friends every every day you know and it's and i think that's what's great about you and mike you know you guys have something special and that's God, man. Sure That's what is. God does, man. That's just how, you want to know how God loves you? Look at the people in your life that he puts in your life. You know, and I think he teaches mm-hmm. us that, you know. Yep.
3: My my exact words every night I leave real men is thank you, Father, for the men that you have brought into my life, the friends and the fellowship that I have, friends that I have never, ever, 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 ever had in my whole life. And every night, it just comes to, comes real every mm-hmm. night, every Monday night.
0: I had a guy in my group uh, last week. We were talking about friendship, true friends. He asked me about the military. And I said, the guys that you share time in the trenches with, in the real mud that you know have the same dirt on their hands that you do on yours, you're very close to. And he quoted, and I don't know where the quote is from, but I wrote it down about a warrior that comes back from battle wounded but not slain and it says i come back from battle wounded not slain i lay down bleed a while and rise to fight again and i wrote that down because i thought i think that's what christian men especially in today's society where everything seems to be falling apart you know before i met john i thought the same thing he said I thought, this guy grew up north in Massachusetts, two-story White House. What are
3: you pants. saying about Massachusetts? Yeah, well, you're i
0: But I thought, you know, hey, he grew up in this perfect place. And then i would seen him at Real Men, but we sat down at Advanced Boot Camp because we got room together. We rode up there together. And when we sat and talked, I thought, you know what? This guy ain't so different from me. Mm-hmm. You know? We both got some dirt on our hands and you can trust somebody that's walked some of the same dirty ground that you've rolled in
5: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's i think christian men do that i think a term i like to use and that guy used was bleed on each other you know what i mean when you Mm -hmm. fight next to guys whether it's physical or spiritual you bleed on each other amen because to hold a man up when he's wounded you gonna get some blood on you're gonna get blood on you you will and but that's how you know your who your true friends are, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I found with these two guys, because I can tell them anything, you know, things that I couldn't tell other men because mm-hmm. they look at you like you're an idiot. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, we you still know? look at them like that. Once well, time, well, but at least yeah. a, we do it with love. <laughs> uh-huh. uh.
1: Joe, you got anything over there?
2: Well to to just kind of sum everything up i'm 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 in an amazing spot right now in my life for so long in my life i've, I've walked in a path where everything's been solo it's just been me and and you know I, I unlike the unlike these guys i i come from an extremely christian background my father's a minister and i'll i'll hint on all that um in my testimony but you know i've I've come through the fire, too. I may not have been in the trenches physically, but I've been in the trenches mentally. Mm. And
1: Yeah, you've had some physical trenches, brother. Oh, yeah, yes. We're gonna yeah. We're going to get
2: into them next week. But the fact of the matter is, God answered so many prayers that it just, it happened so quickly for me. You know, I got married, I moved to Orlando, and I found these guys. It's just, you know, I haven't, I mean, I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I'm speechless at the power of God. Mm. Amen. Amen. Brother. Hmm. Yep. Because, I mean, I prayed so long, so hard for so much to come into my life and to change me, men that I can talk to and go to when I need to be lifted up. Because I know Christ lifts us up, but you need men swinging swords beside you to get you up there.
5: Mm-hmm
2: and i I got it and i mean dude i I have no nothing else to say i mean i'm just so (laughs) blessed
4: and then the really cool thing is is we don't always agree on everything you know and that's what makes that's that's what makes us special you know because we tell each other what the truth amen
0: well you know that that whole agreeing thing sometimes i wonder you know joe said hey i prayed for a blessing and sometimes when he blesses you you know, he gives somebody else a cross because this joke yeah. got
5: blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm
2: kidding. Uh, I love Joe. Keep it up, McDermott. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, so, guys, I know this has been uh, kind of a long podcast, but but, but where do you stop? I really? Mean, uh, we could keep going for sure. Man, I'm just, just blessed to have you guys in the house tonight. We're blessed to be in your company. Thank Chris you. Thank you mine. so much for uh, coming on god stories radio Thanks absolutely else, yeah and, thank you very much thank you And just, you. Uh, just again i just
3: hope do. that uh, uh someone out there some ones out there as i say uh heard this testimony was sitting through the same stuff and will give them some hope and some comfort
1: i just but, want to say too if anybody out there listening uh maybe has a question for john maybe you have a, a similar background just you know uh, want to talk uh, drop us a line at godstoriesradio at gmail.com, and uh, we'll get that to John or Ken or Joe, one of the guys oh, yeah. at Men of War. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We They'd be glad that. to respond to you. Please uh, don't be ashamed. Just do it. That's right. Just uh, I don't know why. Just man up.
3: And I'd like to <laughs> say anyone anywhere out there that uh, has had been listening to uh, our sessions, or this one was session 16. And at this point, maybe feel uh, a little bit more confident in getting in contact with us to give us your testimony, that you want to give your testimony. Feel free to, uh, again, uh, contact us through the blog or uh, godstoriesradio at gmail.com. Hey,
1: John, can you close this up in prayer,
4: man? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord for this blessing, this gift that you've given me this evening, be able to share my life with hopefully many, many others. I pray that your word and your presence is felt tonight. I thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in my life. I thank you for the brothers that sit around this table. I thank you for the hope that you've given me through my life, and I pray that you give that same hope to somebody else, that they could walk confidently and boldly in you, to realize that through you, we can do anything. But apart from you, we can do nothing. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. Most of all, I love you with all that I am. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you, you the listener. I thank you for your prayers and support. This has been God Stories Radio Session 16. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike.
3: God bless. God bless.